Hello, my name is Sam Smith, and this is Map of the Maze podcast from PepTalks, in which I'll be exploring a business theme related specifically to private equity banks and entrepreneurial companies. Welcome. Here we are this morning, um, having just completed a uh, pep talk breakfast with our special guest, Chris Payton. Chris is really on his second career, having had uh, 19, 20 years in the military as a Royal Marine, starting as a, as a junior officer. He saw action in Northern Ireland, in Kosovo, in Georgia. And by the time he'd uh, got 10 or 15 years of experience, they put him into a senior uh, leadership role, the, the most senior leadership role in, in Helmand province in Afghanistan, where he looked after all of the military operations in Helmand. And then when, they, when he came home, they gave him a, a small job in the MOD uh, as Lieutenant Colonel of advising the cabinet and the prime minister on Afghan strategy. And then just as he was finishing, they said, could you work out a way that you, we can bring all of our UK troops, kit, personnel out of Af- Afghanistan and home and, and back to Britain, which which uh, is actually the largest logistical operation the UK military has seen since the end of the Second World War. So a fascinating military career. And now six, seven years, maybe maybe more. Just slightly more, yeah. Uh, out of the military, Chris is the founder and managing director, CEO of, of Quirk Solutions, a very successful specialist consultancy business that works with a full gambit of clients from FTSE 100s to startups to entrepreneurial and private equity-backed businesses in between on advising on, on management and leadership, but more importantly on strategy and stress testing strategies. So uh, we've just had a great session with about eight or nine CEOs uh, in our pep talk community and we thought we'd just finish off with a podcast of Chris talking about some of his experiences in the military and in uh, civilian commercial life. So uh, one of the one of the, the first areas that we uh, went into this morning was was on uh, leadership and trying to demonstrate or trying to lead with vulnerability. Yeah. Why don't you tell us a bit about um, your experience there in the military and and today in commercial life? Yeah, sure. I think it's 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 one of those things about understanding that what you're trying to achieve as a leader and where you're trying to get to, which essentially is to generate some sort of output. <laughs> that that is the the purpose of doing any sort of leadership. And I think you can stand up and be the sort of leader who just barks orders. And that's the perception of most people of the military. But actually, the military prize a sense of humility um, and a degree of vulnerability of being willing to say that you don't necessarily have all of the answers and you need the team to help you come up with the answers. So, for, for example, you know, in that role that I was in in Helmand, where I wasn't actually in charge of all the operations in Helmand. That was, those were colleagues and obviously my boss. I, I was responsible for planning the operation. So I was kind of like the forward thinking bit, if you mm-hmm. like, that then handed it across to the operational team to really put the nuts and the bolts together and make it happen. But if you're sitting there, even with 15 years experience in Helmand province, trying to come up with a plan that deals with the counter-narcotic side of things because of the opium there, the terrorism side, the counterinsurgency side, what the foreign office are trying to achieve, what Kabul wants, what Washington wants. There's, there's so many different stakeholders there. You can't possibly go in there and say, I know how to do this. No. So you, you have to ask for help. And 
I've always found that to be right from the start of my career where I was working in Northern Ireland as a very junior officer with a bunch of people who are much more experienced in that environment than I was. The approach that I've always had is to say, I am happy that I have the responsibility. I am accountable for what we're going to do, but I need your support to help me come up with the ideas as to how we're going to do it. And I find that that sort of vulnerability, if you like, that what some people might see as a weakness of standing up and saying, I don't know all of this and I need your help has been incredibly powerful in a couple of ways. The first is that you generate an enormous amount of trust with the people who are working with you because they see you now as a human being rather than this sort of slightly removed leader mm -hmm. because they see that you're willing to express your doubts or your concerns. You're not you know, sharing everything with them and worrying them but you are willing to say to them, I need your help. And that generates a really strong trust and a wrong, really strong bond. I think it then helps you, therefore, to improve your plan. But it also means that the individuals are much more engaged with the plan because they feel like they've had some sort of influence on it. And actually, that's where I think the final bit comes in on this sort of willingness, if you like, to consult with the rest of the team and be a bit of a, you know, an open leader, willing to engage with people. If you go away and you come up with a plan yourself, you're only using your own brain, your own experience, your own ideas, and you might be quite stressed that day or quite fatigued or there's something going on at home that's on your mind. And I think personally what we should be doing as leaders is we should be making decisions, but we should be getting the team to come up with the ideas. So the way in which you can do it is essentially say to the team, this is what we've been charged with doing. Here are the outcomes we're looking for. But I want you to go away, and as teams, I want you to come up with the ideas as to how we might do it. So I've set the what, and the when, and the why, but you come up with the how. And once you've come up with the how, maybe we set three teams, come up with a plan A, plan B, plan C, which are all entirely different as to how we're going to come up with things. We are now using 15, 17, 20 different brains and experiences, which generates you a huge amount more, things you wouldn't have even thought of. You are still in control, but you're gaining from their experience and you're making the decisions rather than having to do all of the thinking. So I think that all of that is essentially, you know, you, you can listen to, you know, the vulnerability podcast and things like that, Brene Brown's TED Talk, mm. uh, but that essentially is my view of it. It's about using people's experiences better, learning from them, listening to them as the experts, but not losing your authority in the process and managing that in a, in a sensible way. What, what would you say to somebody who was nervous about revealing vulnerability to a, a, an owner or stakeholder? I think it's, it's one of those things of you'll never know until you try. Um, and I think it's it's more that actually we are no longer in an environment where we have to perceive be perceived to be these alpha leaders. And I think those days, whilst there are still are those types of individuals around, and you obviously have to judge quite carefully the individual you're talking to, I think that we are now removed from that to a degree, and people are willing to listen openly, to share quite openly. Um, they recognize it as being important. And I think that 
at the end of the day, it probably will feel very challenging. It will be deeply uncomfortable to go into, say, an owner and say, I have these doubts. And you don't even have to express it in that way if you don't want to. You know, you can you can go in there and say something along the lines of, I've looked at this situation, we've, we've tried to come up with an idea and a plan, but we're struggling to come up with something really coherent. Do you have any advice for us? So almost seeking their advice rather than expressing your doubts. Mm. But I think that by engaging them, you draw them in much more and make them part a wider part of the team. I think otherwise, you conceptually always have this separation and they almost become a bogeyman in your own mind that actually they don't deserve. They're sometimes there as an owner because they know a lot more than you do. Mm. Sometimes you've got investors who don't understand your business and that's not going to help. But sometimes there are owners or people like that or investors who understand what you've done, have maybe been there before, like your founder CEOs that you talk about you know, within, within um, the pep talks. You know, they've been there, they've seen it, they've done it. So why not talk to them? Yeah. I mean, so some interesting um, reflections from, from our community in pep talks is that often uh, our members are faced with not necessarily understanding how to get the best out of their investment partners. So the owner is clearly on the board and the board is meeting once a month to once a quarter. And what they struggle sometimes with is getting a level of engagement with that investment partner that involves them really helping to uh, provide solutions and insights and their experiences into some of the biggest challenges that, that the CEO and the, and, the, and the business is facing. Which leads us on quite nicely to the technique of, of, of management that the military have used or you learn in the military of um, freedom within a framework. Mm -hmm. Because using this in that environment of bringing the investor in would work incredibly well. Why don't Why don't you tell us about about that technique? Yeah. Um, so essentially, freedom in a framework is part of a almost a, a trinity, um, which ha you know. So the first part of it is is an intent statement, where you are getting away from the sort of slightly dated version of you know mission statement, vision statement, values, etc., and having all these separate headings, which then people struggle to put together. And you have a single precy, essentially, of all of the above. So it doesn't contain enough detail that it will help people do everything, but it contains enough to get them pointing in the right direction and aligned. And that's what you're looking for, is that alignment. Then you bring in this concept, then, if, if that's the what and, and the when and the why, then the freedom in a framework piece is where you essentially set up a group of parameters around which you're going to allow individuals inside those parameters to come up with the how. So you are maybe delegating in terms of geography or budgetary spend or a particular client demographic um, or a particular sector. You can put that framework in whatever way you want to and that's probably the most difficult part of this whole process is trying to work out what the framework might be mm. within which you let people then crack on and come up with the ideas themselves. But you're right, the, the technique, I mean, it's used by McDonald's an awful lot so that essentially they are allowing the, the corporate intent, if you like, globally to sit there, but for regional and local variations in terms of taste and texture and you know, preferences to be brought in by local managers because they have that freedom within the framework that they've been set. 
So it becomes a very powerful tool in terms of allowing people to use their initiative because instead of you having to be on top of their work all the time and them asking you questions all the time, if they understand what the intent is and they understand what the framework is, they simply look at it and think, well, here's an opportunity sitting in front of me right now. Do I understand what we're trying to achieve from this? Yes, I do, because I've got the intent. Does this sit within the framework that I've been given, the parameters I've been given? Yes, it does. Well, in which case, I don't need to refer it up or talk to anybody. I'm just going to crack on. The, the, the problem is that you still might end up with people doing slightly crazy stuff that you aren't necessarily comfortable with. And lots of business owners would see this as opening a Pandora's box if you're not careful, whereby you're just kind of handing the keys to the castle across. So the first thing to say is that the framework prevents that to a degree because it's a set of boundaries around them. But the third part of the trinity is this closed-loop communication where you are saying to people, if I've given you the intent and I've set you the parameters, then go away and take two hours, two days, two minutes, whatever, two weeks. Come back to me and give me your initial thoughts. Don't, don't develop the whole plan. Just give me your initial thoughts back on what I've said and how you're going to go about it. And by closing that loop and listening to them, you get an understanding of, did they understand what I asked for them in the first place? Or have they slightly misunderstood it and misheard it? And they're going off down a bit of a rabbit hole that I need to correct them from? Or is their plan good but could be improved? And therefore, I'm now going to try and coach them a little bit because I don't want to step back in and retake control because this is about freedom in a framework. Or maybe it's part of that conversation, they come back and say, I understand what you're asking me to achieve and I understand the framework, but I can't achieve what you've asked me to achieve within the framework. So I need more resources, more time, more people, more scope, whatever it is. Mm. So it's, a, it's about essentially you saying, this is what I'm aiming for. You go away now and come up with how you're going to do it. And then let's sit down and check that you're more or less on track. That's mm. the simplest way of putting it. Mm. But it becomes very, very powerful, and those investors can be part of that process, yeah. essentially, uh, and a very powerful part of that process. Yeah, and I think a really interesting point is so true. When you communicate something as an individual, the expectation is the person or the people or the group you're communicating to completely understand what you're saying. Yes. And they don't necessarily. It's not necessarily they don't understand. They just see it from a different perspective. And yeah, of course. I mean, you know, we had, you know, a number of people in the room today listening to the breakfast and talking at the breakfast you can almost guarantee if you went back to each of those individually later on today each of them would have a subtly different understanding of what we've spoken about yeah even though we've all been in the same room listening to the same people say the same words because we're all slightly different and we've all had different experiences this morning and so we're interpreting things in a different way and and that's often what happens uh, and why, you know, the closed-loop communication actually came about from surgical procedure in hospitals where they need to make sure that people are, have heard and understood correctly and are going to do the right thing. And the military essentially adopt it uh, and use it in a similar way because they want to make sure that people are going to do the right things that they've been asked to do mm. um, or that they're going to do. And so it basically helps you to, uh, to stop that sense of, well, I stood up and briefed everybody. I told them what I needed to happen. And two months down the line, we're nowhere near where I thought we were going to be. They're all internal terrorists determined to make my plan fail. Mm. Well, no, they're not internal terrorists. It's just that's what they heard. And they've now been working very hard to try and deliver that. So when you then come in two months later and say, why are we over here, you bunch of morons? Come back over here. 
that's very demoralizing for them because they feel like they've wasted all of that effort. Mm. So that closed loop communication just helps to negate that and helps everybody to keep be on the right track and be aligned. Mm. Someone asked over breakfast, what do you do with those terrorists? How do you deal with those? Which brings us on to really your area of expertise today in your consulting business of pressure testing, stress testing. Yeah, it's um, everybody's plans are going to go wrong in some way. You know, you only have to look at, you know, recent examples that are out there, you know, TSB's rollout of their new, you know, IT infrastructure or Northern Rail or anything else like that. But even the best plans are going to go awry in a small way somehow. It's it's kind of inevitable. It's, It's the law of action and reaction. You create a plan based on the environment that you see in front of you right now. You launching your plan inherently changes that environment because you've introduced something to it. So there's going to be a reaction. So what the pressure testing does is it starts to pre-imagine that entry. It starts to say, if this is the stone we've just thrown into the pond, where are the ripples? And where are they going? And what are we going to do about it? So it's all about trying to get better foresight. Um, So in any particular given area of uncertainty, such as we're in at the moment, it's a really useful technique to say, here is my plan for, I don't know, it could be a merger or an acquisition or a change program or launching a new product or closing something down. If this is the plan that I have, let's now test it against a simulated reality which is developed by a group of stakeholders that you put in the room, either role-played or or for real. And this is where those challenging people, those internal terrorists, come into their own. Because you can put them on a team that allows them and encourages them to be challenging and be difficult. Mm -hmm. So you're enhancing and using their own characteristics to help your plan. The, 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 The benefit of doing so means that you start to dig a lot deeper, but they feel a lot more bought in because they've had their opportunity to have their soapbox moment, which is managed usually by a facilitator, so they don't run away and run amok. Um, but also everybody gets the opportunity to dig a little bit deeper and say, well, look, where would this plan go wrong? Why would it go wrong? What would we do about it in advance? So rather than failing for real, which is very expensive, you get to the point of failure in a safe environment where people feel comfortable to share and to put their head above the parapet and say, what about this and what are we going to do about it? And, you know, there's lots of different ways to do pressure tests, but I, I think it's hugely important. And it's certainly, from our experience, is saving people at least 10% of every program cost in terms of less overrun, less crises to manage, less problems that they, because these are preventable mistakes that they, sh- they could have seen if they'd done a pressure test in advance. Mm-hmm. And you were talking about the, the way you use them in your own business. Yes. Um, you do them every quarter. Every yeah, absolutely. We, we get together on a regular basis and we will have, you know, these tests where we look at them and, th- and you know, are challenging ourselves. Certainly at least, you know, once a year we get the whole team together um, including all the different agencies and stakeholders, so some of whom are outsourced for us. So we get the outsourced people in as well, because nothing gives you a better pressure test than actually having the real people in the room. If you've got a supplier that works for you, you know, bring them into the room, make them part of the challenge that you know that you're asking your your business to, to look at. So yes, absolutely, we we know 
every time we get together as a group, we pretty much sit down and say, where would this go wrong? Why would it go wrong? What are we going to do about it? It's not necessarily a, a prescribed every quarter thing. Um, it, it tends to be just every time we've got a, if you like, a quorum of us together mm-hmm. where we'll sit there and say, well, what do we think about this? Or if we've got a new client coming on board that have got, got in touch with us, you know, one of, one of the key things you'll look at is the risk of catastrophic success. Are, are we signing ourselves up here to deliver something to this client that ultimately we can't deliver? Yeah. And therefore, then we start to run foul of the service level agreements we've got with them. So, you know, looking at that and challenging ourselves on that all the time are the sorts of questions that we're always asking ourselves. Yes. Mm. Well, Chris, it's been brilliant talking to you this morning. Uh, It's almost this afternoon. (laughs) Um, So thanks so much for being involved. Uh, Thanks for your content and discussion and experience that you shared around the table uh, this morning and uh, Chris Payton from Quirk Solutions we'll see you again thanks very much indeed Sam it's been a pleasure you can download our podcast series from all the usual podcast places or do go and subscribe to the show we'll be back with another interview next month but for now goodbye and thank you for listening